You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back to Rintoul and Sermon. Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in today. Uh, free agents. Free agency opened up two hours ago. A bunch of deals have been streaming oh, yeah. in. And uh, two big ones now while we were just in commercial break there. Uh, the Seattle Kraken have signed Philip Grubauer to a six-year, $5.9 million contract. So uh, some quick maths on that. What is that, $35.4 million? Sure. Uh, that sounds I'll right. take your yeah. word for it. I'm not, yeah, I'm not a mathematician, Vic. Come on. Uh, yeah, so 35.4 over six years, so that's $5.9 million. Uh, Brock McGinn signed in Pittsburgh for four years, $2.75 million per season. And uh, Philip Deneau sounds like he is landing in Los Angeles at six yeah. years, $5.5 million per year. Again, some quick maths, $33 million. So yes. one of the most high-profile skaters still on the market, Philip Deneau, ends up in L.A., you know, assuming the reports of Dougie Hamilton to New Jersey bear out and potentially Jaden Schwartz throw him in that mix as well. But, yeah, Philip Deneau, probably the top center on the market at this point, goes to L.A. six years, five by five. Five point five, excuse me. And just to uh, catch up as well, if you're trying to do the math in your head or, or, or just trying to picture what the roster looks like for the Seattle Kraken, you're thinking they signed Philip Grubauer. Didn't they just sign Chris Dreger? Yep. And didn't they also draft Vitek Vanacek? And didn't they also get Joey Decord? Uh, well, Elliot Friedman uh, reporting as well. believe Washington would have interest to reacquire Vitek Vanacek if the Kraken so desired. So that's kind of interesting. That that is an interesting one. I uh, I remain not that excited about what the Kraken have done in their entry to the league so far. Grubauer's a nice goalie. Don't love that deal for the Seattle Kraken, and I don't know. I mean, I, I don't love the Alex Wenberg deal for them either. So there's uh, there's still a lot of question marks for me when it comes to how Seattle has managed this whole process. Uh, another big money big money signing. Uh, Jake McCabe, uh, D man, that was uh, you know. Some people had uh, different uh, thoughts on uh, Jake McCabe. His, his career maybe in Buffalo hasn't gone as swimmingly, uh, but it is Buffalo, so you, you you do lend a certain level of uh, uh, sympathy to see how that team has been uh, progressing. But it's a left-shot D-man. He signed a four-year contract worth $4 million a season with Chicago. So he gets 16 mil over four years. Uh, Chicago spending a lot of money being very aggressive. This and off. we should just just get this in before we get Yannick Hansen on the line here. Ryan Clark uh, from The Athletic in Seattle confirming that Jaden Schwartz has signed with the Kraken. Five years, $5.5 5 AAV. So Schwartz Massive. officially going to Seattle. Yep. And that's, uh, that's a movie we've been waiting for uh, some time uh, as well. So Kraken spent a lot of money uh, in short order here. Well, let's get to Yannick Hansen uh, joining us now. Uh, Yannick, uh, how have you been joining signing season so far today? A lot of money being thrown around. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. It's nice to see the teams uh, take shape. Uh, you can always uh, predict, uh, wish, uh, whatever you will, uh, where players will end up uh, for your teams and other teams. But it's nice to uh, to see the teams starting to to take shape, so you can try to see where uh, where your team will fit in. 
In your playing days, Yannick, you know, even when you were under contract and you knew you were going to be with Vancouver the following season, how closely did you pay attention on the first day of free agency just to kind of keep tabs on what the team was doing, who was coming in, who was leaving? I was I would leave my mark on uh, on the couch I was sitting in and not move too much. Um, uh, <laughs> obviously, you're 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 keeping track of of other teams, but again, you know your your needs on your team. Uh, a lot of the years, oh, we need uh, we need a defenseman, we need a center, uh, we need a scoring winger, whatever it might be. And you're sitting there, and obviously, you know the league and the players available, and you you're hoping um, again the the knowledge of the cap and what's doable is is another thing. But but you're always hoping for. Uh, the best possible player to, to push your team over over the hump. And, and yeah, no, it was something we, we followed very closely. Uh, when you look at what the Canucks have done uh, since Friday, they obviously bring in Ekman Larson, Connor Garland. Today, they bring back Travis Hamnick. They signed Tucker Pullman. Luke Shen re-enters into the fold. Uh, how would you grade what they've done uh, over the past, uh, what is it, 96 hours? A little bit more than that? They've they've done very very well. Uh, they filled a lot of holes. I think when we talked about this two weeks ago, uh, we were talking about you need a completely new bottom six. Uh, you need uh, three or four new defensemen. Uh, uh, you need a top top line winger. Um, they've filled a lot of those holes. The only thing uh, that they're kind of missing now um, is that I feel like they could use a little bit of toughness in in the forward ranks. Um, a Nick Ritchie type of player, kind of like that. I know money, again, uh, can it be made happen. But something like that, somebody who can play with a little bit of a snarl, uh, doesn't get pushed around. Um, again, uh, I still see a, a hole in the D um, somewhere slotting in between Quinn Hughes, Oliver, uh, who who's the third best defenseman. They just traded uh, Nate Smith, who was supposed to be that guy. Um the guys they added, um, great. They'll fill out the, the bottom part of the defense core there. Um, but I still, in order to push this team over the top, um, that's kind of the hole. Uh, we also talked about uh, maybe it's not the hole you fill this year. It's something you fill through trade or, or next year in order to be uh, pushing yourself at the top of the pecking order here. But uh, they have done uh, extremely well, I feel like, and they have made Vancouver a whole lot better than they were uh, four days ago. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Yannick, you bring up that it seems like there's still maybe a, a spot open for a kind of a number three caliber defenseman. And Bick and I have been talking about the Tucker Pullman deal and Travis Hammonick coming back all morning. Both of those guys, very good players, players who can really help your team. But it does seem like maybe they'll be asked to play a bigger role than ideally they would. They might be asked to play top four minutes when, you know, ideally you'd rather have them farther down the lineup helping you out. Yeah, exactly. And that's where... That's where guys get in trouble. Um, they're, they're they're getting paid to to play a certain role, but because of uh, you don't have the, the players in front of them, all of a sudden you you're in the deep end of the pool a little bit. Uh, and yeah, some some guys might outper- outperform their contract and do better than than we anticipate. Um, and that's great if they do. Uh, but again, uh, if you're if you're hoping for, I wouldn't call it miracles, but but these guys to step in and play. Uh, uh, on a first pairing or a second pairing because that's where you have to fill out, then uh, it's it's asking a lot. Again, we aren't asking these guys to score a ton of goals. Um, we're asking to be uh, the, the defensive solid stone uh, next to uh, Quinn and, and Oliver, have them move the puck around, uh, create the offense. 
So it's not like we're looking for them to, to be the, the point-producing defensemen. No, they have to come in. They have to be really good defensively. They have to uh, make up some of the shortfall that uh, OEL and Quinn will have. They will give up some two-on-ones here, here or there. They will miss markings here and there. And that's where these guys have to come in. That's where they have to earn their money, if you will. They have to uh, they have to be very, very good defensively and cover some of the shortcomings that, that the, these other guys will have. Well, that's the conversation we've been kind of having of, okay, talent-wise, you would say Nate Schmidt brings a certain level of skill and ability to the defense, but now it, it just wasn't a fit both on the ice and potentially off the ice. When you look at this group, Hamannick, Myers, Pullman, you know, complimenting Hughes, OEL, Rathbone potentially. Stylistically to you, this makes a lot more sense? Yes, it does. Because now you have defined roles. Uh, last year we, we walked into and, and what, is, what is Nate Smith going to provide? What is, what is, Ed, what is Edler going to provide? Uh, and I think we were expecting a lot more offense from especially those two guys that didn't come. And all of a sudden now the only offense coming from the back end is from Quinn. Uh, now I think you have two very defined offensive guys. You can throw Ratbone in there if he makes the team. Um, again, it looks like they're a lot deeper now. Uh, the other guys, Tyler Myers, um, they're they're a little more defined roles now. Uh, you got to provide some some physicality, some good defensive, uh, and then let the other two uh, anchor uh, power plays, if you will. Um, and again, provide that that puck moving defenseman. Um, so I think the more defined roles now will will put guys in places where they can succeed instead of uh, maybe hoping to for too much. And then if all of a sudden you start getting some offense from from Hamannick, you got that at the end of the year. Uh, great, it's a bonus, but it's not something that you're you're counting on at the beginning to see. We need this guy to to score ten goals and, and provide uh, twenty five points. No, if he provides the, the physicality, um, the sound defensive play, good on the penalty kill then uh, that's what he's signed to do. Uh, and then the, the signing is, uh, is a plus. Yannick, the other kind of big theme of the day for the Canucks, I think, has been adding a ton of depth, both on the blue line, guys who might start in Abbotsford but could could push to make the roster. They added Nick Patan as well. And, and you know, the, the phrase we always hear around those signings is internal competition, right? There's going to be battles in training camp for roster spots. How important is it for an NHL team to have that sense of competition, to know that, you know, guys on the third and fourth line, they're not going to be gifted spots. They're going to have to really fight to earn that ice time. Yeah, you, you always want internal competition, not just for, for pushing guys to be better, but, but injuries will happen. And, and you don't want to see what uh, what we saw last year where they had to pluck off uh, everybody and everybody from, from waivers just to fill out their, their lineup. No, you want these guys coming from Abbotsford. You want them being in the system. You want them knowing the guys. So when one, two, three injuries uh, are starting to pile up, then the guys that are coming in, they know each other. They've been at camp together. They've a couple, probably had a couple of games together. Um, and the transition is that much smoother. Um, and again, internal competition, that, that's what we were asked for last year as well. We, we had a lot of conversation about uh, Herglander and where should he be? Is he your top six forward? Well, now it's pretty defined and you have guys pushing from beneath that want to be top six forward, but there are not enough rooms. Uh, and that's where uh, the, the comfort, oh, I know I'm going to have my spot. I'm going to be on the power play because I, I'm looking at the, the lineup here and, and there's nobody who can take my spot. Now we're uh, five games in. I'm not really performing. Um, 
am I safe? What, what's going to happen here? And uh, yeah, it uh, it forces guys to uh, to play a little bit harder than uh, maybe they would have otherwise. So uh, I'm looking at a player like Jack Rathbone in the, in the scenario where okay, there is a lot more competition, and you know, stepping into training camp as a young player, when you look around, you see all these NHL caliber players. You know, if if you're him, what's like what's your mindset coming in? Yeah, it, it's hard. Uh, it's going to be hard for him to make the team. You're on a what do you say, team-friendly deal, uh, can get sent to Abbotsford, no problem. Uh, don't have to risk uh, losing on waivers, stuff like that. You you really have to uh, uh, blow them out of the waters, if you will. It's very, very hard to make uh, NHL teams uh, as a D if you're not kind of penciled in. Because um, right now they're going out, they're signing all these guys, and they can't, they can't, they can't risk them on waivers, stuff like that. So they have to keep them. It looks like they're they're, they're lining up for eight Ds, uh, which will give an extra spot. Uh, but but again, it's uh, it's hard to to make the team for for him, especially I think with the signings they made now. Um, again, injuries can happen, and does he come in and and per, blow them out of the water? Well, they'll find a spot for him, no question, because uh, he has that uh, X factor skill where he's the type of defenseman that that if he shines, he will. Uh, yeah, you, you'll all of a sudden have three left-handed Ds that are extremely talented. Puck moving can provide offense, and uh, that's an embarrassment of riches, if if you will. Uh, but again, for him to come in and, and make the team, that'll be uh, that'll be tough. Uh, also, because of of who else is on the left side in front of him, and he's kind of in the same mold as them. Um, but again, it 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 creates uh, opportunities, uh, internal competition. Um, uh, do they miss games? Well, then, then we have a, a similar type of player who can step in on a on a power play for for a couple of games here and there if need be. Um, so again, it, it's just it's great to have. Uh, again, it's uh, for his uh, point of view. It's uh, yeah, you have to you have to play a little bit harder, work a little bit harder uh, in order to get your uh, your your spot now. But again, that's um, that's what this is about. You gotta you gotta take somebody else's job, and if you don't want it hard enough, well, uh, too bad. You know, Yannick, earlier we were talking about on the blue line, maybe some guys are going to be asked to play roles that, you know, might be just the the expectations might be a little too high given what they've done previously in their career. But at forward, they re-signed Brandon Sutter to the one year, just around a $1 million deal. And he's going to come in and be asked to be that fourth line center, it looks like, from day one. And that seems to me an example of a player who maybe earlier in his career with the Canucks was being asked to do a little bit too much. But as your fourth line center on that cheap one-year deal, he seems like a guy who could be a real asset to the team in that role. Yeah, the, the only thing about uh, Brennan is is, uh, is his health. Um, if he can play uh, 70 games, it's a tremendous signing for them because uh, he is uh, the only right-handed center. Um, his face-off percentage is consistently in the high 50s. Um, he kills penalty. He works hard. He can play the matchup game. Uh, he is... Uh, in the exactly the right spot that he needs to be. The only thing is health. Can he stay healthy? Um, then it's a, a great, great signing. Uh, again, I'm maybe a little bit biased because I got along great with him when, when we played together. So I was hoping for him to be back in a role like this. Um, again, the, the only thing is, is health. Uh, same with Hamannick. If he stays healthy, it, it's a great signing. He provides uh, a lot of toughness. He um, He's physical. He clears in front of the net. Um, 
only thing is is health and, and that's where they're starting to build a little bit more depth now there where if this thing falters a little bit and these guys uh, keep running into to the same injuries that we've seen um then there is somebody who can who can step up uh, we're joined with Yannick Hansen uh, joining us here on uh, Rintoul and Sermon, Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd. Okay, so this is why I like getting different perspectives because we talked to you know a, a GM yesterday, a former GM yesterday, another GM earlier on the show, and it, we, we were talking about contract term. Then we get the player's perspective from you, and you're talking about how great it is to have this competitive environment. And one of the concerns Jamie and I have had today is about like the, the term on contracts that they've given out. And yes, it can get you in, in trouble in the long term, but you know the way you're talking, and I hear both this competitive environment you want you know from a player's perspective you're looking at this and thinking hey we're a better team today i don't care that tucker pullman got four years i don't care what tyler myers's contract how long it runs for you're concerned about is this team better now and are we more competitive yeah again as, as a player it, it's it's hard to uh what a guy's earning and stuff like that um, and how many years uh, you you tend to just be happy because yourself you're going to be in that position a year from now or three years from now where you're going to need a new contract and there's going to be somebody else sitting oh that could have been my spot um, but when you're in the moment and you're adding uh, Dan Hamhuis or Manny Malhotra or Chris Higgins or Max Lapierre or you name any of the guys they, they brought in when we were there uh, they made our team better they made our team better. They pushed us to where we we wanted to be. Um, so you're happy to see these guys coming into the into the dressing room and push the teams in the right direction. Whether or not they get uh, uh, one, four, or six years, I I couldn't really care less uh, because for 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 me it was the upcoming season and and they're here for that. And then then we'll look to like next year um, at that point. But as a fan and as a, an organization, that's when you start to worry about, oh, where does this look four or five years down the line when the player is so-and-so old? Um, then, then I can see it. But, but the player in the moment, you want your team to be better right now. Uh, and you want to win right now. And, and these players will do that. And then uh, that time, that sorrow kind of thing. Uh, Yannick, I remember the Dan Ham who's signing very well. I was fired up as a fan back in the day. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you were fired up about it as well. That one worked out great. Hamus was an amazing Canuck uh, for a long time. Uh, speaking of some of your former Canucks teammates, has has Alex Edler let you know where he's going to end up yet? It's been pretty quiet around the Edler front so far. Have you got yeah, any inside no. scoops for us? I do not have any inside scoop. Uh, guys keep that very, very close to the chest until it's a, it's a done deal. Even when we sat in the dressing room next to each other, if somebody was uh, in the middle of negotiating a, a contract, uh, whether it was a, uh, obviously an extension or stuff like that, you wouldn't hear it about it until it was done. Because uh, I, I wouldn't call it jinx it, but, but you don't want to go out and say so-and-so, these guys are signing me. So, no, I have, uh, I have no tidbits for you guys as to uh, where, how, and, and, and when. Okay, well, then let me ask you, like, how, how aware are you of, of rumors that are happening when guys are in negotiations? I, I get not bringing it up, but are you sitting there kind of like knowing what you've heard? Or are you sitting there oblivious to what they're going through? I was oblivious uh, at a lot of them, especially the in-season. Uh, you know stuff are going on off-season, so you know sure. guys are talking and, and they're allowed. But, like, uh, some of the in-season, uh, like, I, I had no clue. It was just, like, I showed up in the morning and guys started congratulating somebody over the breakfast table. Oh, what happened? Oh, he signed a new four-year deal. Oh, well, great for you. Congrats. And uh, good, good to have you here uh, for another couple of years. 
but yeah, like I said, uh, you, you're not you're not talking about that as it's going on, as you're negotiating. Oh, I want more. I want I want the term. I want the protection and stuff like that. It's uh, very very limited as to the discussion in the in the in and around the team at that point. Well, we all need teammates like you, uh, not creating any gossip in the locker room. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Yannick, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. That is Yannick Hansen, uh, longtime NHLer and former Vancouver Canuck, of course, and regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650. No hot goss in the locker room. No, no. Well, that, that makes sense, right? You don't want to, you know, even think about any workplace. You're usually not throwing around your salary negotiations. It's a little different because it's so public. Uh, in the NHL, but that makes that makes sense. That checks out. I do got to say, I love him name checking the Dan Hamhues uh, acquisition because you know, go back to 2010. That's one of the ones where I was so fired up. You know, you meet, you get your phone out and start calling your Canucks fans buddies to get hyped for the upcoming season. That was that was a great. You time. know, it was so long ago when you have to say you call your friends, not uh, I know, not you're not in the group chat. Like you're calling them. I know, yeah. right? That's so funny. Hey, can we conference call in Nick on this? Well, let's get him in here. <laughs> I don't know how to transfer a call. You hit star. That was 2010. Hit... That was 2010. That's a long time ago now. Yeah, were group chats a thing back then? No, absolutely not. Well, you or if they, if they were, I wasn't cool enough to be in them, I guess. Well, well you're not even cool enough to get them now. Cause, hey, cause what? We, we've all got iPhones and you've got an Android. And, and like, we're in we're like three a... group chats together. I what are you know. talking about? I'm making an Android joke here. Because cause in the big 650 group chat, which is like an iMessage chat, you're not in that one. Yeah, no, I'm not a, I'm not a part of that one. I did because... see – this is this is not hockey-related, but you, did you see the story of uh, Jason Kidd's tenure as head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks? And he called out – I believe it was Thon yes. Maker for having an Android when everyone else <laughs> had an iPhone. And definitely a couple people from 650 have sent me that story saying, this is you. You're the problem yeah. in our locker room. You have an Android. If, if you were in the group chat, you would have seen it. But uh... – you need to be different. Uh, it's not that. Nazar. I just have, I have an Android. I don't know, man. Get <laughs> off my back. Uh, Big Nazar and Jamie Todd here filling in for Scott and Karen. Uh, we'll continue the conversation. Share your reaction as well uh, in 650-650. We'll take some open call, uh, open boards here. Uh, 604-280-0650. Uh, this one, all texts coming in. Uh, oh, sorry, all caps. Group chats are dangerous. I don't know about that. Quite friendly. You just got to know. You got to know the other participants in the group chat. You got. You got to adjust your tall your risk level based on who else is in that group chat. <laughs> uh, keep the text coming in six fifty six fifty, and we'll do open boards six zero four two eight zero zero six fifty. All on the way here on Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Well, here we go. This is the one Canucks fans have been kind of waiting on to see what would happen with Alex Sedler. Well, he's staying on the West Coast. It's just not in Vancouver. He's got some California love. He's going to L.A. Alex Edler, arguably the greatest defenseman in Canucks history, is now an L.A. king. Lots of reports coming out. Uh, John Hoven had it first. The mayor uh, talking about Alex Edler. Uh, Chris Johnson reporting. Rafan Gafar just tweeting out the details now. Two more years for Alex Edler at 3.5 AAV. So a $7 million for Alex Edler. Got to admit, tough to say no to that. As much Good as you job. might uh, 
Yeah, as much as you might enjoy Vancouver, if they weren't offering close to that, hard to say no to $7 million. Good job, Alex Edler. Good job, Alex Edler. And, you know, from a Canucks perspective, you shake his hand and you say, all the best. We're happy you got that contract, right? It doesn't make sense for the Canucks to sign him to that deal, but I'm happy for Alex Edler. And, I mean, let's just take a moment, really, to appreciate the career of Alex Edler here in Vancouver. It has come to an end after a lot of speculation, but... I mean, this is a guy, best defenseman probably in franchise history, going to the Ring of Honor someday, has been a stalwart, a workhorse for this team for a long time. So huge shout out to Alex Adler and congratulations on the new deal. Interesting. You know, there was a a demand of, hey, they want to go to somewhere we can win. Well, the LA Kings, are they in a position to do so just yet? Obviously a team that's on the up and up uh, with uh, some, some very deep prospect pool. But uh, do we look at L.A. as a more competitive environment than Vancouver? I wouldn't. I mean, like historically, yes, because they got Stanley Cups. But in the here and now? No. And, and, you know, it's a team that, look, they they went out and made the Philip Deneau signing as well. So Mm -hmm. there's obviously some ambition to take a step forward next year. But you still also have, you know, guys like Jonathan Quick and Drew Doughty and Anze Kopitar who aren't they're on the downslope. There's there's a lot of potential for decline from those players. Yeah, the prospect pool is really nice. I mean, if you want to hang your hat on it, on something about the LA Kings and, and their ability to be competitive, it's that they're in a Pacific division, which right now, outside of Vegas, does not have any clear-cut Stanley Cup contenders in it. So the playoff race in the Pacific division should be pretty wide open, but you know that that's not the same as going to a winning team, right? You're going to a team that has a shot to make the playoffs because their division isn't that great. That That's different than going to a winner. So Alex Edler uh, winds up there. And I will say, as far as decisions for the Vancouver Canucks, this was all upside. Once Alex Edler decided, hey, I want to go test the market, this was all upside. You bring him back because he's a legacy player and you want to see him finish out his career here. That's a great outcome. If he winds up getting too much money and he, he goes off, this is similar to the Chris Tanner thing. You say, congratulations for what you're just talking about. Shake his hand. Thank you for your years of service. You've been yep. amazing for us. But enjoy your time in L.A. It's just too much money for us. This is all upside for the Vancouver Canucks. Yep, and it's, you know what? It ended up being the right time to move on, right? There's been moments in the past where we thought maybe this would be the end of Alex Edler, but you know what? It worked out that it made sense for the player. It made sense for the team to continue that relationship, and you can understand it from both sides here, right? That's a good deal for Alex Edler. He gets to stay on the West Coast, which I'm I'm guessing was pretty important to him given his family here in Vancouver, and it just didn't make sense for the Canucks with what they've done elsewhere on the blue line in this offseason. So again, there shouldn't be any hard feelings here. This works out in some ways for both sides. This isn't going to, you know, tarnish his legacy here as a Canuck or anything like that. Again, hearty congratulations to Alex Edler for getting the deal in LA. See, we're getting these no trade clause texts coming in, a bunch of them flooding in about he should have waived his no trade clause. No, he didn't need to. He absolutely didn't need to. No. you, You give him that... In his contract, it is up to him. It is his prerogative to use it as he sees fit. And then you throw in the specter of the, the COVID situation and, and everyone dealing with that around the trade deadline. There's no obligation to the Vancouver Canucks to waive his no trade clause. 
to 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 leave. Absolutely does not. Very misguided text coming into our text message inbox. Yeah, no, I, I'm never going to rip a player for, you know, exercising the the contractual rights that they negotiated. And by the way, don't forget, every time a player has a no trade clause or a no movement clause, that means they either took less term or less money, right? So they, they have literally paid a price to get those features in their contract. Of course, they're going to use them. That's what they're there for. That's why they made the bargain. Uh, a couple of conflicting reports now on the term of this deal. Uh, Pierre LeBron putting out one year for 3.5. So we'll, uh, we'll wait and see uh, confirmation. But uh, there's a report of two years and also a report of one year. So uh, TBD on that one, uh, if it's 3.5 or if it's seven total million dollars for Alex Edler. But that's, hey, end of an era. End of an era for Alex Edler in Vancouver. Uh, I wonder if we could see something there where maybe there's incentives because uh, Alex Edler is over 35. So if, if that could be part of the confusion, right, where the, the total money could add up to $7 million, but it could be base 1.35 or 1 by 3.5. We'll have to wait and see on the exact details for Alex Edler going to L.A. Uh, so, yeah, Alex Edler winds up in uh, Los Angeles. And, you know, traditionally you would say, oh, boy, that leaves a hole in the Vancouver Canucks. Well, they prepared for this with Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, slated to fe- feature, you know, take over the, those types of minutes. Because as, as much as we talk about Alex Edler, maybe he's best suited for third pairing duties on a, you know, a, a team that is willing to contend or pushing to contend. In Vancouver, he was given top four minutes. He had he had the trust Travis Green to say put him out in a, in a variety of different roles and uh, against certain matchups to get those minutes. Oliver Ekman Larson will absorb most of those minutes. And I, I guess it means, you know, we were interested talking with Yannick Hansen. Like, what does this mean for Jack Rathbone? What opportunities are you going to grow into? Not that you're you're completely um, crowded and won't grow into it. It's just, you know, the, the blue line has got a lot of bodies on it right now. And I'm curious if Jack Rathbone maybe starts his season in the AHL and also has the opportunity to move up because of that contract has its flexibility. Whereas some Before, other guys, right? maybe not so much. Well, and there's always the the issue of, you know, if they want to maximize the LTIR relief for Michael Furlan's contract, you know, does Rathbone get papered down to the AHL but then immediately called up because he doesn't have to go through waivers? They'll have to do that cap dance. We'll see what kind of flexibility they're able to open up. Uh, we should just mention, you know, you you, uh, you said there were conflicting reports about the length of the Edler deal. Greg Wyshynski now, who's a regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650, also saying that it is, in fact, a one-year $3.5 million deal for Edler in L.A. All right. Well, suddenly that's uh, a little less money. Nothing noticed $7 million, but uh, three point five. Still, I, I think... I, I'd take it. To move to yeah. L.A. for a year? Yeah, I'd take it. For sure. Uh, for me, like, okay, what was the right price range for you to say um, you would have wanted to bring Alex Edler back? Well, to me, it's, it's, pro- it's probably closer to, like, 2.5. Yeah, but it's also not so much about the price as it was about the fit. As soon as the Oliver ekman Larson deal went through, it was really hard to see the fit, assuming that you want Jack Rathbone to be a major part of this team. You know, if Jack Rathbone didn't exist... And you looked at, okay, we got Quinn Hughes, we brought in OEL, we hope that he can be a top four defenseman for us. 
then maybe if you still had a, an opening on the left side in your third pair, yeah, Alex Edler one year by three, something like that would make a lot of sense. But where you already have Jack Rathbone back there, and I'm a very much of the mind that you should be penciling him in as one of your starters on opening night. It's just where is Alex Edler going to play? They obviously wanted to go out and add legit right side defensemen. There wasn't a spot for him to open up, so it became much more about fit on the roster than it did about price or term or anything like that. Uh, Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd uh, jumping into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, the smart alternative, uh, Dunbar Lumber. Excuse me. Uh, you can visit their locations in uh, Ladner and, or Arbutus in Vancouver. Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Excuse me, got something in my throat there. Well, choked up, Alex Edler's leaving. You, I was going to say, you're emotional about Alex Edler leaving. As uh, as many have pointed out, the last link to the 2011 Stanley Cup final team. So that, that's officially officially completely new roster from the team of 10 years ago. Uh, Justin in Vancouver, if you guys are calling Edler the best D-man in Canucks history, I think that speaks volumes on Canucks history with defensemen. Uh, guys yep. are acting like Benning is the first GM in Vancouver to ice a mediocre defense core. It's a tradition here. Yeah, that's absolutely part of the conversation. Nobody is denying that uh, the the history of uh, the, the Canucks defense hasn't been stellar. Like, we made our want to talk about Quinn Hughes' career was like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be the best D-man in Canucks yeah. history. Well, and if you want to talk about best individual seasons, you know, Alex Edler's probably not at the top of that list. You know, you go back and you look at a Matthias Oland or even a Yerke Lume or something, Quinn Hughes' rookie season. But the fact that he was here for so long, the longevity and the consistency is what puts Alex Edler at the top of those rankings. But it's a fair point. Defense has not historically been a strong suit for this organization. So uh, the the immediate conversation starts, and I see Brendan Bachelor, who will join us at noon, by the way. Uh, will uh, he's already tweeted this? Alex Edler has to be a Ring of Honor guy, best D-man in Canucks history. Uh, where does it stand? Because it, it is kind of weird that no uh, no D-man has been retired. Well, he's not getting his number retired. Right? Is that saying, what you're suggesting? Best D-man in Canucks history. No. No. Ring of Honor, they're not retiring his number. Okay, what's the argument to not do it? Because I, I do think like a, a, a weird bit of standard has kind of been set for the jersey retirements. So who do you have, right? You have the Sedin twins, Burray, yeah, Nas- Nasland, Linden, and Stan Smeal, right? Yeah. So Smeal was a captain, led the team to the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. final. Now, you could argue his overall resume as a player doesn't necessarily you know, qualify him to have his number retired, but you understand that there's an emotional connection there. Same thing with Trevor Linden, right? Then the other same four guys, with, I mean... Like, same thing with Marcus Naslund. Same thing with... Well, like, but Mar- Marcus Naslund was winning major awards and was leading the league in scoring and leading the league in goals. He, he reached a level of success and notoriety around the league more than Trevor Linden or Stan Smeal did, just as an individual player. And I understand... And plus, he was the captain, right? So And I would say he, the playoff success wasn't there. So that matters for, for, the, for the case for all the other players. Like, the playoff success wasn't there. Compa- like, for Marcus Naslin, you mean? Yeah, like like there was no cup run. No, there wasn't. But again, he had the he had the individual 
awards and the individual accolades to counteract that. With with Alex Edler, you know, he was never in the conversation for one of the top 10 defensemen in the league, right? So yeah, he played here for a long time. Yes, he was part of the team to what the, went to the Stanley Cup final, but you know, if if it's the postseason work that's getting Trevor Linden and Stan Smeal up there, those were the captains of the team. Those were the the primary drivers, the cogs, the heart and soul of that team. If you're reminiscing about the 2010-2011 Vancouver Canucks, you're going through five or six names at least who were key to that run before you get to Alex Edler. So I, I don't think you can say, well, he went to the Stanley Cup final and he's the longest serving D-man in franchise history, so we're retiring his number. Ring of Honor, absolutely. But you got to maintain some sort of standard for a number retirement here. Just to be clear, I, I'm not advocating for it to be retired. I'm saying what's the case against it? That's all. You're playing devil's advocate. I understand. Yeah, that's all. I, I think Ring of Honor makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I, I'm personally uh, anti all retirements, but I'm just saying. Just wanted to hear the argument against it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Alex said the Ring of Honor guy, absolutely make it. I see the people texting in. How I like this. You, you I like can't this from, at all retire his number, yeah. I like this from Marcus and Gibson's. You don't retire Edler's number strictly because he didn't get to 100 goals. <laughs> I like that. They should they should make a press release and everything. We thought about it, but yeah, you know, he finished at 99 goals, so ring of honor instead. Uh, this one. Uh, talking about Edler, ring of honor is ridiculous. I respect the guy for his longevity and what he brought to the table is... Uh, as being a great Canuck, but name me some huge Alex Edler moments you can remember. I c- bet you can't give me three. I man, like he, I, I, just going back to 2011. I, I know you're saying like five, six other guys. There were moments where Alex Edler was fan freaking tastic in the playoffs. As and he, you can like go he, back, like, like even in that Boston series. Yes. And you can go back to the two years before that, too, when they went out in the second round uh, to Chicago in both of those seasons. But in those playoff series, he had some incredible moments as well. Don't forget, it used to be the case that when the playoffs rolled around, Alex Edler became one of the most dangerous open ice hitters in the league all of a sudden, right? So, yeah, there are moments you can remember Alex Edler for in his tenure as a Canuck. And it's also, that's not really a fair standard to apply to a defenseman whose job for much of his time here was to be more of the quiet workhorse at the back rather than a flashy offensive guy I know he got a lot of power play one time in the prime of his career but that was never his job to be that type of offensive player so yeah of course it's going to be harder to recall moments but you're basically if that's your standard then you're saying that a a reliable stay-at-home style defenseman can never go to the ring of honor and I don't agree with that uh Sammy Sallow had more memorable moments than Edler though that is uh from Joey in Richmond and yeah I think that's a fair statement It's, it's a bit more a flashy highlight, right? Like we think of the big shot from Sammy Sallow. A lot of those moments stand out a lot more than Alex Edler's, which was more of a uh, muted brilliance at time, right? Just just trying to be the, the metronome on the back of keeping things on track and being the steady D-man. That to me is, uh, you know, going back over the course of a, a career, that's what I'll remember. Yes, exactly. It's the longevity. It's the consistency. It's the way that he was always able to shoulder a big minutes burden. And of course, towards the end, you you spent a lot of time hoping and wishing that there was somebody else who could take on part of that burden. But he still stepped up to the plate and handled it pretty well, given the situation around him. Bick Nazar, Jamie Dodd here with you. Let's catch you up on uh, some of today's moves, specifically with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Been a busy day for Vancouver. 
obviously going back to uh, uh, the other day when they uh, you know brought in or sorry signed Connor Garland. That was yesterday. Uh, $24.75 million over the course of five years. The other business they've done today, Brandon Sutter returns on a one-year $1.125 million contract, looks slated for a fourth-line role. They re-signed Travis Hamernick as well to a two-year $6 million contract. Uh, Danila Klimovic, uh, the second-round pick, 41st overall Let's go. In, in the last entry draft, he signed his entry-level contract. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, also, they brought in Yaroslav Halak on a one-year, $1.5 million cap hit. It's $3 million total value with some bonus contra- bonus uh, uh, performance bonuses because it's a 35-plus contract. And the, the requirements on that were 20 games played and 905. 10, 10 games. Sorry. 10 games yeah, played. So very, very – so you would look at that and say it's 1.5 times two, uh, essentially, uh, is, is what that looks out to, pending how, uh, how much cap space they wind up saving this season. If they can get the 1.5 on this season's cap, fantastic, but I would project it probably land on next year's deal. Uh, then they made a bunch of depth signings as well. Brady Keeper enters the fold, uh, Luke Shen enters the fold, and Nick Patan uh, signs the contract as well. Uh, I'm missing one here. Oh, Tucker Pullman. Yes, Tucker Pullman is uh, probably the biggest one of the day. Uh, $10 million uh, over the course of four years. And we've got a massive, massive signing to the Vancouver Canucks for for one guy at the station in particular. And that is Dan Riccio is going to be thrilled (laughs) because Phil DiGiuseppe has signed for the Vancouver Canucks on a two-way deal, a minor league deal. That's uh, winger Phil DiGiuseppe. Uh, who was most recently awesome. suiting up for the New York Rangers. So Dan Riccio is, is popping some, I don't know what the Italian equivalent of champagne is, but whatever it is, Dan Riccio is, is feeling it right now. That is awesome. Is it Prosecco? It's Prose- it might be Prosecco, right? Gotta be. Sh- should, we, should we get Reach on the line? Like, I, He must be doing cartwheels here. He's, he's over the moon about this. Tell us about, uh, yeah. yeah, what is the like the Italian champagne? It's got to be. That's from Italy. Yeah, it checks out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Riccio is popping the Prosecco right now. And also made official, uh, Tony D'Angelo, uh, just made official by the uh, Carolina Hurricanes as well. Uh, a deal we talked about yesterday as well, but uh, just made official. And by the way, speaking of things that have been happening today, I just saw uh, the Montreal Canadiens, the owner, Jeff Molson, uh, put out a statement based on their draft pick, um, uh, Logan Mayu. Uh, they put out a statement like, Amidst all the yeah. uh, the signings, uh, I'll try to bring up the statement here if I can uh, really fast. But uh, but but while you, while you do that, you know yeah. we always talk about you know you try to you try to dump your bad news on Friday afternoon, right? When everyone's about to get their weekend started and no one's really yeah. paying attention. This is the ultimate news dump. I've never seen anything like this, where you are releasing what should be a major impactful statement from your owner. And you're just trying to slide it in, in the middle of free agent frenzy, literally the busiest news day of the year in the NHL and basically crossing your fingers that nobody will notice the tone death, basically gutless response from Montreal on this, on this issue continues just brutal from them. All right. So this is from Jeff Molson. This decision made in context of the draft turned out to be 
instantaneously very offensive to many of you. I understand that you expect more from us and we let you down. Montreal Canadiens are more than a hockey team. Logan's actions do not reflect the values of our organization. And I apologize for the pain this selection has caused. First and foremost, regarding the young woman who is the victim, I want to say that we are that we do not minimize what she has had to do and continues to have to live through. No one, especially not an 18-year-old, should have to suffer through a traumatic experience like this. We are there to support her and her family and respect their privacy. Our selection of Logan was never intended to be disrespectful towards her or her family or more generally towards women and other victims of similar situations. Our decision was not intended in any shape or form to be endorsed of the culture of violence against Women. Logan is a young man who committed a serious transgression. He is genuinely remorseful about the pain he caused. He is committed to becoming a better person, and we will work with him through this process. At this stage, it is only our actions that will speak louder than words. One, over the course of the next few months, we will develop in conjunction with local experts a comprehensive plan to raise awareness and educate young men and young women about this serious issue. We'll use our platform and our resources to turn a decision that hurt many people into one that brings meaningful and impactful change. We will support and oversee Logan's commitment to becoming a better person. And three, we have asked Logan to not participate in our rookie or main training camp this fall. Being a player in the NHL is a privilege that is earned, not a right that is granted. As the year progresses, we will reassess Logan's readiness to be part of our organization. Uh, we gave Logan a second chance, but in doing so, we failed to properly assess the impact of our decision on the victim and anyone who suffered in similar circumstances. Once again, I want to apologize to everyone impacted by our decision. Uh, he goes on to say, repeat our actions are louder than word. Uh, lastly, I want to thank everyone that provided feedback on the situation, including our partners and sponsors, so that this mistake becomes an opportunity to grow and raise awareness. That is the statement from Jeff Molson owner and president and CEO of the Montreal Canadiens regarding their first round draft pick on Friday. Pretty weak, pretty weak still. If you ask me, uh, it's, I'm not seeing a lot of meat there. Yeah. Um, the it, look, this is obviously going to be a process that plays out and we're going to have to, uh, judge it as it plays out. The, you know, the, the the bit of talking about we will support and oversee Logan's commitment to becoming a better person. Uh, I'd like to see a bit more of a plan than just saying, yes. "Oh yeah, we we expect him to become a better person." Uh, that's part of it. And the uh, the focus on well, we didn't intend to do this. Well, it's not really about it's not that whether or not you intended to upset people and offend people. It's you have to. You have to take a moment before you make the action to understand how it's going to be received, to understand what the consequences are going to be. Making it about intent is missing the mark. Vic Nazar, Jamie Dodd, we'll be back. Brendan Batchelor will join us in a couple of minutes. The voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, filling in for Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back to Rintoul and Sermon. Vic Nazar, Jamie Dodd filling in for the week as they take some well-earned time off. 650-650 text message inbox. Lively as always. Uh, let's catch you up on the moves, though, uh, the Vancouver Canucks have made so far. Jamie? Yeah, it has been a very, very active day uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. The big one, Tucker Pullman signing four years, $2.5 million per season so another a, a big right shot defenseman they bring in from winnipeg they also bring back travis hamannick 
on a two-year, $3 million AAV deal. So again, that's $3 million per season over two years for Travis Hamanek. Yaroslav Halak will be the backup goalie for the Vancouver Canucks. One year, $1.5 million base salary. But as we mentioned earlier, with some very, very achievable uh, performance bonuses there that could kick it all the way up to $3 million by the time all is said and done. Brandon Sutter back as well on a one-year deal, just over $1 million AAV there for Brandon Sutter. Then you've got a whole slew of depth signings. Brad Hunt, Luke Shen, uh, Kyle Burrows were expecting to be announced. I don't think it's made, made official. Brady Keeper on the blue line. Nick Patan at forward. Phil DiGiuseppe, we just talked about, has been signed as well. Another AHL two-way signing. So plenty of action. Plenty of action. Vancouver Canucks. But yeah, the big ones, I would say Tucker Pullman, Yaroslav Halak, and then Brandon Sutter and Travis Hamanick returning to the fold. Uh, you said DiGiuseppe. Uh, according to Dan Riccio, because everyone tweeted Riccio. Obviously. As, as soon as he signed his contract, uh, he, he's been doing some phonetic pronunciations, I believe, uh, on on Twitter. He's got it as more Di Giuseppe. So, well, I, I'm not going to try to do the Italian voice, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. I, I'll just catch the people up what they need to know, because everyone's, everyone's tweeting Riccio right now, and people are texting us. When's Reach on to say this? Uh, we'll... The brand is strong. Yeah. The brand is strong for Dan Reachio. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just reading Reach's uh, uh, phonetic pronunciation of it. He'll he'll join us or he'll join the station obviously at three o'clock with uh, the People's Show with Sat, Dan, and Randeep. And then the other one, uh, not a Canuck signing, but a Canuck leaving. Alex Edler has uh, departed into uh, Los Angeles to play for the Kings. Uh, one year, three point five million dollar contract. I'm I'm interested to see if he plays with Doughty. You know, like that to me would be an interesting pairing. That would be very interesting. That would be very very interesting. A lot of experience, obviously, between those mm-hmm. two. I mean, given where they're both at in their careers, I'm not sure I'd want to be sending him out against top competition all that often. But it's a it's a possibility for sure. Uh, a lot of money dropped today uh, for fee- uh, for people that are curious what's going on with the Seattle Kraken. They uh, spent a bunch of money today. Uh, so they brought in Jaden Schwartz at $27.5 million uh, for five years. Uh, Philip Grubauer signed there for $35.4 million. And uh, Alex Wenberg signed for $13.5 million as well. So uh, Yeah, so plenty of action. Yep. Plenty of action south of the border. You know, you were wondering. They had all of that money going into free agency. You were wondering about how they would spend it. They don't get any of the top, top options. I guess you could say Philip Grubauer, the top goalie available. So they do get him. But at the skater positions, you know, they ended up not being a factor for Dougie Hamilton. Gabe, Gabe Landeskog ended up returning to Colorado. But they do find a way to spend a big, healthy chunk of that cap change in Seattle. Vic Nazar and Jamie Dodd here on Rintoul and Sermon. Let's talk to the voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Brendan Batchelor joining us now. Batch, uh, it's uh, signing season, and uh, we wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Rafa Varane ending up in Manchester United. Yeah, that, what a great signing. Uh, <laughs> I, I know we're really not going to talk too much about that, but uh, I'm liking the fact that United are back in potential title contention with Sancho and Varane, so... Uh, nice to see them get the center back that they've needed here. Let's go. I absolutely love it. So you mentioned title contention. Uh, Vancouver Canucks make a bunch of signings today. How much, in your opinion, have they improved? 
That's an interesting question. Uh, If you look at the body of work over the last week and a half, I guess, you would say they've they've definitely improved. Um, You know, Oliver Ekman-Larsen is an upgrade on on Alex Edler, in my opinion, although certainly I've had a lot of people debating me on that uh, on Twitter over the last bit. And and this is, of course, putting all the contract discussion aside. You know, Connor Garland uh, and Jason Dickinson helped them round out their top nine. I like Brandon Sutter coming back as a cheap fourth-line penalty-killing option. Um, So, you know, all of those things are positive. Uh, I do like the approach to the right side of the defense today, which seems to be, you know, signing a a number of guys to affordable short-term contracts and then hoping that you can get the job done by committee, whether it's with Hamannick or Pullman or or Shen or whoever ends up slotting in there. And then certainly we've seen the signings that appear to be more uh, geared towards rounding out the Abbotsford Canucks rather than the Vancouver Canucks. Um, But, you know, they're a better team than they were a week and a half ago. How much better remains to be seen. Uh, I think the left side of defense will be better. I'm not so sure about the right side of defense where you have Hamannick come back, you return Tyler Byers, but then you're replacing Nate Schmidt with what is likely a downgrade in in someone like Tucker Pullman. So um, overall, I I give Jim Benning a good grade on what he's done recently. And I do like the, I guess you would call the more money puck kind of moves where you're not, you know, spending big money on long-term to land someone to help you on the right side of defense, but rather you're making shorter term, lower cap hit type moves and creating some organizational depth as well. The the issue is match, and I, I agree with you. The I, I think when we look back on this free agency day, the the name who's going to kind of swing things from either being a, a positive day or a negative day is Tucker Pullman. And yeah, my concern there it is the term of the deal, right? That he gets four years, and I understand prices for defensemen are high around the league right now. But does it concern you? You know, this team has been bitten in the past by giving out term to guys who slot more at the bottom of the roster. Does does the term on that Pullman deal concern you at all? It does, but it, it kind of feels sort of relative. You know, when you're comparing the Pullman deal to something like, you know, Louis Erickson or Jay Beagle or Antoine Roussel, it doesn't necessarily seem quite that bad in comparison, which probably says more about, um, you know, the lack of foresight uh, that this organization has had with some of its free agent signings uh, in the past. Um, so, yeah, you know, certainly if you could have got shorter term for Pullman, that would have been preferable. Um but at the same time, the cap hit is is not something that should limit you long term anyway, because it's not it's not like you were you know chasing a six million dollar defenseman on on a four year term or something like that. So is it the best signing? No, but am I you know going to lose sleep over the Tucker Pullman signing? I, I don't imagine I will. But who knows? I guess we'll have to wait and see. And uh, he's going to get an opportunity to come in and uh, compete for minutes on that right side of the blue line because. Uh, you know, the the way Travis Green has kind of laid out his defense over the last couple of years isn't necessarily the traditional top-pairing, second-pairing, bottom-pairing look. You know, we saw Ole Levy and Tyler Myers play together on what was technically the third-pairing quite a lot last season. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if Pullman gets an opportunity to play more than just what you would expect of a, a third-pairing defenseman, whether they see him as a fit with OEL, uh, I would imagine that they'll at least start the season with Hughes and Hamannick back together. Um, so whether they want to spread some of their their defensive depth out over the three pairings and, and maybe have 
Myers playing with Rathbone, and then you can go OEL and Pullman, or maybe Shen slots in there over Pullman. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Travis Green does. But um, yeah, the contract concerns me a bit, but I also like the internal competition that a guy like Pullman isn't necessarily going to be gifted a spot in the top six. He's going to have to earn it. Well, okay, you mentioned the term that I saw you tweet out a meme as well. Bringing back old school memes. Well done on, on that one. Um, <laughs> but, okay, you mentioned internal competition. You also mentioned Jack Rathbone. I brought this up with Yannick Hansen as well. It's just like, if I'm coming into camp with Jack Rathbone, you got all the skill in the world. And I think collectively the fan base says, hey, ELC contract, he flashed a bit when he played last year, should be in this. And I, I'm looking at the total numbers of, of bodies now around. I, I'd be a little bit worried if, if a job is guaranteed. And I get it, you know, earn your spot and everything like that. But I, I'm just kind of curious of the status of Jack Rathbone looking at this entire blue line. Well, that, and that's the, the tricky thing about having a young defenseman like that uh, who has shown some upside, but are you 100% convinced he's ready to be an NHL regular, is you want to have players there that will force him to earn his spot on the team, but you don't want them to be you know, hurdles or obstructions to a guy you know, that may deserve to play in the NHL not getting there because they have veterans and they feel they, they need to give them the opportunity. So to me, with the players the Canucks have brought in, in terms of depth, none of them to me scream a guy that is going to block the path of Jack Rathbone to make the NHL roster. Um, now, we know with Travis Green that with young players, he sometimes brings them along a little slowly. So, you know, assuming Jack Rathbone has a good training camp and makes the hockey club, I still don't think it means he's a an everyday player for them right off the bat. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, you've got a guy like Luke Shen and you're playing against a team that's, you know, a little bit more physical, a little bit heavier, that you might slot him into the lineup and give Rathbone a night off. Um, you know, this all, all will depend on Rathbone's performance. Certainly, if he comes in and, and is tremendous in training camp, they're not going to keep him out of the lineup. We've seen that with Travis Green, that when young players earn the opportunity to play, he not only plays them, but gives them opportunity to get minutes, too. So uh, I think they've done a good job of treading that line between, you know, not having so many players in in the the conversation of, you know, being legitimate guaranteed top six defenders that they'll prevent Rathbone from making the NHL roster. But, you know, just like any other player, he'll still have some competition here that he's going to have to come into camp and prove that he belongs in Vancouver instead of Abbotsford to start the season. Well, and, and one thing, Batch, even beyond the idea of, you know, adding this internal competition for Jack Rathbone is you just look at the the overall organizational depth chart, and I think it's much stronger and much deeper today than it was yesterday, and especially on the blue line, you know, going out and, and get, signing a guy with tons of NHL experience like Brad Hunt, who's probably going to start in Abbotsford, but you can call him up. And the, the thing with the Canucks is we see it every year, right, with their travel schedule, defensemen are going to go down they're going to miss games you need to have that depth and when I compare who they're likely to be calling up and slotting in the lineup this year this upcoming year versus past seasons it seems like a major upgrade to me yeah well it, it certainly is, is is deeper right whether you know Brad Hunt is a legitimate top six NHL defenseman or not he's a guy that can step in and, and give you solid minutes on a third pairing in a pinch when you need it um, you know, they'll still have a guy like Ole Levy who's going to be in that same conversation uh, with Jack Rathbone about competing for a roster spot. He's a guy that they could have step in. You know, Luke Shen, whether he's the seventh defenseman, how he fits in. Um, so I agree they, they have lots of options there, but, 
as you allude to, and rightfully so, we know the way it works with the Canucks, which means probably all of those guys that I just mentioned will have to play this year um, due to just the, the history of injuries. And, you know, maybe that'll change a little bit because some of the, the guys that have had those poor injury histories like Alex Edler and Chris Tanev are no longer with the organization. But that said, Oliver ekman Larson has had his own injury issues. Um, so it's clear that the Canucks have made a concerted effort first of all they have to build out their roster in Abbotsford whether it's with guys that they're going to call up to play or not they have to you know ice a team in Abbotsford and I obviously want it to be a competitive team uh, in the AHL for its its first year uh, on the west coast um, so you know you mentioned the defenseman but I like you know Phil DiGiuseppe is a guy that's played in the NHL in in bits and bites with Carolina in the past uh, you know Nick Patan is a guy that you know has, has played on a fourth line on uh, Toronto Maple Leafs team that's been pretty good on and off and is up and down between the AHL or, or in the NHL or has been with them. So, um, you know, that's going to be part of the fact that the, the hockey club is in Abbotsford. It's fully controlled by them. Uh, they have to build it out now is that they are just going to have more organizational depth because they have to populate that team with players. So it's a, uh, a nice uh, situation you have there where, you're going to have guys just down the highway that you know can step in and play NHL games for you if and when you need them. Well, I will say one thing that's kind of exciting that's emerging now with that Abbotsford AHL team there is obviously the the, the attractability of, of getting talent into that organization and create that organizational depth. It's, it's already showing what an asset it can be to kind of still raise the floor of that AHL team, whether or not, you know, we can debate, Hey, are they flushing in enough prospects from in-house that is necessary, but they do have talent there now are starting to develop talent that can step into the NHL as well. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see a few more of those deals in the coming hours and days. Uh, just again, they've got a roster they've got to build out. And uh, as you allude to there, um, you know, organizationally, their prospect pool is a, a little bit drained right now because some of their top prospects have already cracked the NHL roster. So, um, you know, if, if you, you don't have Cole Lind anymore either, so if you don't have a ton of prospects to build out that roster, you're going to need to bring in uh, veteran guys. And why not, uh, while you're doing that, bring in guys that can help you at the NHL level in a pinch as well. Batch, we know we've been talking a lot about the blue line today, obviously, with all, a lot of the NHL-focused moves being made there. But, you know, all of a sudden you look at the depth chart up front for the, the forward lines and how they're likely to shake out. And you go from the last few seasons where the bottom six had a lot of question marks and a lot of holes on pretty much a nightly basis. Now, all of a sudden, with Brandon Sutter back on a reasonable deal to be your fourth line center, Tyler Mott is going to be playing on that fourth line. You really have four lines that you feel really good about in their roles at the NHL level. Yeah, you certainly do. And and the most interesting part to me is going to be how those lines are, are rolled out. You know, we can pretty well pencil in that the fourth line will be Mott, Sutter, and, you know, there, there'll be competition for that other spot. You know, maybe a guy like Matthew Highmore ends up finding a home there long-term. And, you know, the lotto line is going to be the top line, you would imagine. But that middle six and, and how Travis Green chooses to deploy it will be really interesting to me because, you know, there, there's a school of thought that you keep Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat together because they've been a great tandem. But then you could, you know, say, no, we want Niels Hoaglander to be with Horvat 
in the top six with, with Garland on the other side. Uh, so then you're moving Pearson down to the third line, or could you have a third line of a couple of young guys with Hoaglander and Pod Colson on the wings and Dickinson is kind of the defensive conscience for them in the middle. So, um, you know, looking at trying to write out the way the lines could uh, start the season is a, an interesting one this summer because Travis Green has lots of options and it's different in past years where you're looking at the options and you're going, oh, well, I don't like that one. What about if I do it this way? Oh, I don't like that either. Uh, instead, it's the other way around where you're going, oh, that could be intriguing if, you know, if you put Pod Colson in the top six, but, you know, maybe that gives you op- an opportunity for Pearson to flourish in a third line role that maybe he wouldn't have otherwise. So, um, yeah, it's the best forward group that the Canucks have put together for my money, uh, certainly since Daniel and Henrik Sedin retired and, and probably even a few years before that. So that's exciting, too, that, um, you know, not, not to say that they're a contender just yet, but when you look at teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning, teams that have won the Stanley Cup, teams that have gone deep in the playoffs, they have a third line in particular that can really help push play and create offense and you know, you look at what guys like Yanni Gord and Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman have done in Tampa Bay over the past few years. You need a depth line that, that can help offensively and not just be relied upon to keep its head above water and not concede goals. And it feels like for the first time in a long time, the Canucks have a line that can do that. Certainly not to the degree of a Stanley Cup contender, but particularly their top nine forward group is really intriguing and really exciting heading into the season. Brendan Bachelor, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. You kind of alluded to it uh, earlier when you're talking about how the defense can rotate around a bit, and then you mentioned there uh, the top nine you can do so. It, it is a lot to play with for not just Travis Green, but the entire coaching staff, uh, King, Baumgartner, and Shaw as well, because you know we can map this out right now and say, okay, this guy belongs here and all this sort of stuff. I think there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching as the season goes along. And maybe should they have success at the back end of the year, you start to hone in and, and keep things consistent. But, you know, just a, at first glance, like I, I could see Hamannick playing with Hughes for long stretches and then going with Rathbone to be that steady presence next to a young player. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. The only thing I feel certain for saying is lotto line should be together. That's really about it. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, even then, you talk about flexibility. Say you have a centerman go down, suddenly you have the option to move JT Miller off that line and into the middle to create some of that depth rather than relying on an AHL call-up down the middle. Um, so, you know, the, that's more of that flexibility, not just in terms of the players they have, but, you know, Dickinson can play the middle, can play the wing. Miller can play the middle, can play the wing. Um, you know, they've got a guy like Hoaglander who played both wings last year, so there's lots of flexibility there. Uh, I tend to agree that I'm sure, you know, we'll see lots of line juggling, but that said, it'll all depend on how the Canucks do because Travis Green, during his time, you know, as the head coach of the Canucks, he said this to me in our pregame interviews on the Green Report with him numerous times that, you know, look, the top teams in the league, they don't change their lines much because they're good teams they have a lot of success, they win games, they do well. He hasn't had the luxury of that in Vancouver to this point. He has been, you know, juggling his lines because he's trying to squeeze every last drop out of the team he's got. And in most cases during his tenure, it's a team that hasn't been good enough. So now he actually has pieces to play with um, that, that can, you know, really help push this team forward. But at the same time, if they have success and he finds some good chemistry with those lines that works well, 
then he has the the opportunity, which you know he has talked about, you know, hoping to have at some point where he doesn't have to juggle the lines. He knows what the lines are going to be every single night because he knows that you know he can get a lot out of every single one of them, and that's where you know Canuck fans should want this organization to get to, and it's certainly I'm sure where Travis Green wants to get to with this group as well. Batch, the Canucks took care of pretty much all of their pressing UFA business today. Now, of course, the attention is going to turn to the RFAs, where they still have some work to be done. Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Jason Dickinson as well all need new contracts. Obviously, Elias Pettersson uh, is first and foremost in the minds of Canucks fans. Are you going to be losing any sleep over the possibility of an offer sheet coming in for Elias Pettersson? Probably not, just because we've only seen one offer sheet in the last eight years, I guess it was now, and it wasn't even really a serious offer sheet, um, you know, when, when you look at the, the Carolina-Montreal situation. So, um, you know, not only have we not seen a serious offer sheet in a long time, there hasn't been an offer sheet where a player changed teams uh, since I think it was 2007. Um, so I would imagine that any offer sheet that comes in for Pedersen is something the Canucks will look to match. But, you know, if, if anything tells you, you know, an indication as to whether it's going to happen or not, you look at recent years and the fact that there have been plenty of situations where teams could have taken advantage of other teams with offer sheets and they've just not chosen to do it. So uh, I, I would be quite surprised if we get to the point where a team actually does come in with an offer sheet for Elias Pedersen. There aren't too many teams uh, that have the, the cap space to really – you know, make a very aggressive offer sheet that would make the Canucks think twice about matching it. And there are even fewer teams that have the draft capital to pull it off in terms of, you know, let's say it's, it's north of 10 million. It's what four first round picks and they have to be your own picks, I believe uh, in order for you to, to go through with that offer sheet. So there are too many dominoes that would have to fall for that to happen that I, I don't think it will, but at the same time, it's pretty clear that the Canucks, were worried about it to a certain degree based on the amount of cap space they felt they had to free up uh, before going into free agency today. So I guess anything's possible, but it, it, it would surprise me. And uh, it's probably more a thing that, uh, you know, we get to talk about on sports talk radio than it is something that, you know, will actually happen in reality. He is uh Brendan bachelor voice of the Canucks here on sports at six fifty. glory, glory, man, glory, glory, man, United. The Reds go marching on. Thanks, boys. It's uh, Batch. Thanks a lot, man. It's uh, Brendan Batchelor uh, at Batch Hockey on Twitter. What are you laughing at? You nerds. <laughs> you, in your little club. Just because you don't have one, you're more than welcome to join us. No, thank you. I'll take a pass on that. That's fine. I, I, some people were texting me in their soccer takes uh, into our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep them going. Keep them going. We can talk about everything today on signing season. Uh, we'll catch you up. Uh, as we were talking to Batch, uh, the Canucks made some things official, things we've already talked about and we've known. Uh, Travis Hamnick been made official at $3 million uh, AAV. Brandon Sutter made official at $1.125 uh, for a one-year deal. And uh, Danila Klimovic uh, also made official, and Justin Bailey uh, official as well. Those are the official ones. Everything else, uh, a report, but uh, yep. waiting for things to be made official by the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we'll be back in a bit, wrapping up the show Central with uh, C-Mac on the way. Uh, coming up here on Rintoul and Sermon.
Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back, Rintoul and Sermon. Nick Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in for Scott and Karen, taking some time off. They'll be back soon. We're here all week long on signing season. Busy, busy day for the Vancouver Canucks. While we were in commercial break, they also made official Yaroslav Halak, a one-year deal. Uh, it is a $1.5 million cap hit. Half of it is signing bonus. Half of it is salary because it's a plus 35 contract. He can make a signing bonus. And then the other 1.5 is performance bonus, 10 games played, and also 905 save percentage. Uh, that nets him another uh, $1.5 million. So it's uh, a busy day for Vancouver. And uh, Jim Benning will be joining or will meet with media uh, at 1.30. I imagine he'll also join the People Show, but we'll wait to see that gets confirmed. But uh, he has a media availability at 1.30, which I suspect you also hear on Sportsnet 650. Well, knowing uh, knowing C-Mac, I mean, he'll be eager to fill some airtime without himself talking, right? <laughs> so he'll he'll get that on the air for sure coming up here on Vic and the Boss. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. At one I should also hold on on a serial, on a, a serial, on a serious note, you know, you mentioned the performance bonuses for Yara Halak there, and we've had a couple people text in asking, okay, what, what are the cap implications of that? And, sure. and correct me if I'm wrong here, Bick, but as I understand it, let's say he hits both of those, which he, there's a good chance he will. And he earns that extra 1.5 million. If the Canucks are under the salary cap for this year, it will be applied to this year. If they're right up against the cap, it will flip over and roll over to next year's cap. If you have the 1.5 million this year. Yes. Uh, we'll yes. see how they spend the rest of the money uh, this way. Just based on my uh, math uh, and, and given who you think is on the roster and whatnot, uh, I've got them somewhere between uh, 17 to $20 million right now, um, somewhere in that range. Um, now, they still have to sign Patterson. They still have to sign Hughes. They still have to sign Dickinson as well. So there's yes. still a couple of things to do. But as far as, like, the to-do list, the to-do list is kind of done. The to-do list is get your like, RFAs signed and then keep an eye out for any like, other cheap yeah, depth like, options. That's the to-do list. Yeah, the things that were out of their control, right? Like the, the RFAs are club control. They can sign them. Yeah, I can get expedi expedited with an offer sheet. But, like, they have control over those guys. The, the to-do list for today was fourth line center, top four right-handed D, another depth right-handed D, and ideally another depth forward. And just depth defense in general. They've done all of that today uh, with a bunch of different signings. Brandon Sutter gets brought in. Uh, Tucker Pullman gets brought in. Uh, Travis Hamannick gets brought back. Uh, Luke Shen, obviously, is part of the equation as well, coming back to Vancouver. So they have been very, very busy. I'm trying to remember all the names here. Uh, Brady There's Keeper, been a lot of them. A lot Nick of them. Patan, yeah. Phil DiGiuseppe. Uh, they, the entry-level contract for Danila Klimovich was signed. Uh, and I think I'm missing one more name. Uh, obviously, a backup goalie was necessary as well. So they obviously brought in Yaroslav Halak. That was part of the to-do list as well uh, this offseason uh, or, or today. So been very, very busy for them. And they – oh, uh, Devontae Stevens was the name I was missing. Yes. Uh, yeah. That we announced earlier. And Sheldon Dries as well uh, signed a, a contract, or Dries. Uh, just another depth option as well. 
and we should get this in, not Canucks related, but big, big deal just became official uh, in the NHL. We heard rumblings of it earlier in the day. Not a UFA deal, but a contract extension. The Lightning have signed Braden Point to an eight-year contract extension worth $9.5 million per season. So there you go, right at that Nikita Kucherov level, yeah. as we expected. Braden Point cashes in, gets paid. He's worth every penny. One of my favorite players to watch in the NHL. He's been outstanding for Tampa for his whole career. And for those wondering about the Tampa Bay Lightning salary cap situation, he still has one more year left on his current deal. So this won't go into, into in effect until the 2022-23 season. So this is an extension that will kick in after this upcoming season. So Braden Point, with this eight-year extension, the one year he still has left, under Tampa control for nine more seasons as of right now. Massive. Massive. Uh, okay, back to the Vancouver Canucks, because when you look at the roster now, it's full. Like, they, they, they've they got yep. a bunch of bodies. Now, you know, we're ready to see what Patterson and Hughes and Dickinson get, but this is, kind of, like, we kind of know what it's going to look like. Now, the fourth line, something might change here and there, but by and large, you know, how, how much are they moving the needle? So what's fair to expect? And I'm not going to change my tune from where I was post-bubble. I know, look, the, the financial investment uh, obviously – uh, eased up a bit, but I came into last season and I, th- and I said, build on what you just did, not just make the playoffs. You got to win around. That's what I said last off season. We saw how it careened. It went off the rails. Obviously never happened. Disappointing season. We can understand, you know, COVID and all that sort of stuff. We can understand it, but you have to get back to where you were post bubble. Th- that is like bare minimum of what I'm calling a you know, passable season is win around. Now, expectations and, and hopes, yeah, you're aspiring for, for Stanley Cups. Just, basic, just looking at what I see on this team, my expectation is this is a team that's good enough to win one round. And I want to hear what our listeners have to say about this. Get, get your text in 650-650. What are your expectations for the Canucks next season after you know having a little bit of time now to digest all of the moves that they've made today? What do you think realistic expectations are against 650-650? And I, look, I won't extend it to what they do in the playoffs, but I will say just given the division they're in, I think if you want to set an achievable, but still challenging goal for this team, it should be to earn home ice advantage in round one of the playoffs, right? Cause that would mean finishing second in this division, uh, just behind the Vegas golden Knights. And right now, look, it's not to say that the Canucks are clearly the second best team in this division. I don't think that's the case, but outside of Vegas, I also don't see another team in, the, in this division that you point at and say they should definitely be better than the Canucks. They should definitely finish ahead of the Canucks. There's a big pack of teams. They're in there with Edmonton, with Calgary, probably with Seattle. We'll see LA is trying to get better, going and signing Philip Deneau. We'll see what they continue to do. So you should look at it and say, we want to finish at the top of the class at that group of teams. That, to me, should be the goal going in. Now, have they done enough to reshape their roster to make that achievable? I think it's achievable, far from a sure thing. But if you want to set, because you always want your goals, you don't want to set goals that are easy to accomplish, right? You want to set goals that are going to push you, that are going to challenge you. I think that's an appropriate one for this coach roster. in that mindset then, then, then... Second in the division is not exactly high in goals. That's just like making the playoffs. No, it's getting home ice in the playoffs. That's significant. But it's, it's, it's such a 
weird qualifier to put on and say second place in the division. That's our. That's what we're striving for. Why not say first place then? Well, why don't yours was win one round? Why not say win two rounds? Because you're trying to make them achievable, right? Because because mine's a higher standard then. Mine's mine's above finishing second in the division, but mine's having success in the playoffs too. But I'm also recognizing that there is so much there's so much more luck in the short sample size of a playoff series, right? So yeah, if you get in, of course your goal is to win as many series as possible. But I'm talking about the regular season, right? I'm talking about when you have the larger sample size of 82 games and you really get a chance for the talent of your roster to show out, the depth of your organization to show out, that's what I'm talking about. And again, you got to set realistic goals here, Bic. Are they good? Is it realistic to expect them to finish ahead of Vegas? No, I don't think so. Is it realistic to at least hope to finish above Calgary, Edmonton, and the other teams in the Pacific Division? Yeah, far from a guarantee, but something that is achievable. Again, that's my expectation for this team. And, and when you do look at it, okay, so we do talk about, uh, you know, Vegas kind of being the, the leaders right now in the Pacific Division. So I do think the gap has kind of closed a bit between Edmonton and Vancouver, but I would still probably put Edmonton two, just because you have Dreisaitl, you have McDavid. Yep. There's a certain baseline you just know that that team is going to achieve. Now I got questions about what's happening on that blue line and what's happening in goal in for the goal. Edmonton Oilers. And, and fair, fair questions to have. But I just think, you know, when, when you're getting that much production from two players, you know, historic levels production, it, it, it's hard to, to look back and say, yeah, that, that team's really, really going to struggle. I, I think they'll achieve a certain amount of success. Now, that group thereafter, and I will admit, I think the gap is closer between Edmonton and the rest of the division, but that group suddenly looks a lot different with Calgary. Can they bounce back? Uh, Vancouver, they look like they have some, you know, some some stable footing now. Los Angeles, um, if 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 they have a big jump, it's because of the 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 injection of youth and that talent is ready to go, and we can see something special and flip really quickly there. And you know, they still need a bit more stability on the back end and a goal as well. But you know, the pieces are there to make you just kind of perk up and say, "Wow, they they made a quick run here." And then the Kraken, I think, throw a wrench in all of this as well, uh, as you know, they're they're. I I don't think we're looking at this as like an expansion team that's going to be bad. I think I do look at them as as a competitive team. Uh, what is the ultimate upside for them? I, I think they they are they will be a hard out though. Uh, yes. when we play them over the course of the regular season, and and I'm open to the the concept of. You know, why weirder things have happened, obviously, and, and maybe they could push for the third spot. But it's that group of teams. And to be honest, the Sharks, they have good players. They're just overpaid. That's the and they've, issue. They've been such, they were such a mess last year. Yeah. So it's, it's re- the Sharks are a really hard team to forecast. But, you know, to your point about Seattle, yeah, I expect them to be in the playoff mix in the Pacific, Pacific Division. Absolutely. I have major questions about how they've handled the expansion process, but they have enough talent there, again, in a weaker division to put themselves in the mix. And just to your point about Edmonton, you know, where it's so hard to get past on the regular season on that big uh, big sample size. When you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, you're just always going to be in the playoff mix. I'll also point out, you know, I don't like the Zach Hyman deal, but he's going to help them next year. He's an sure. effective player yeah. who will improve their roster. So, yeah, major questions in Edmonton, but the base level of talent should be high enough to get them into that playoff spot. Uh, we got lots of There's text just coming too many in. Games. About... Sorry. No, go There's ahead. Just... 
like there's just too many games in a season where they where they will score four goals. Yes. And and generally speaking, you score four goals, you're going to win a game. And yes. No, it, you're right. It's it's hard to it's hard to imagine them at least not being very very competitive for that playoff mm-hmm. spot. Uh, lots of text coming in here about expectations for this Canucks team in the upcoming season. Marcus and Gibson says no lower than third in the Pacific Division. I think that's fair. I mean, I was saying second. So, yeah, if you finish below third, I think it's fair to qualify that as a disappointment. Like, okay, wild card would be a bad season. Yeah, look, you always have to see how it plays out, right? Because sure. what what's the injury situation, what other teams do, all of that. But, yeah, I agree with you just as a kind of baseline statement. Your aspirations should be higher than that. You should you should want to be put yourself in a spot where it's the final. You don't feel like you're scratching and clawing for a playoff spot in the final week of the season, right? That should be your goal in this division. Yeah, the last two weeks of the season, or three weeks, or whatever timeline, last ten games uh, should be about honing up for the playoffs, not uh, you know, and secure, securing in. home ice, securing your seating relative to other teams, rather than oh man, we have to go you know eight and two down the stretch here just to give ourselves a shot. <laughs> Uh, at getting in lots more texts coming in here this one's from nelson in Kelowna. the right side defense is too weak and expensive this team may win around or hover around a playoff spot but there is pain coming the window is closing i don't know i think the window has to be open first before it can start closing nelson but i appreciate uh the text this one's unsigned i think it might be from mike g though says my expectation win the pacific division the vegas golden knights are going to fall off a cliff this season I still have Vegas as the clear head and shoulders favorite in this division, though, Beck. Just, uh, you know, as much as we do talk about, hey, do they have the center quality come playoff time? Like, our conversations related to them are under the context of playoffs, right? They've got Mark Stone. They've got Pacioretty. They've got William Carlson and March or so and Dadnov and Tuck and Stevenson. Like, just go on and on. Like, Petrangelo, Martinez, Shea Theodore. Like, they've got the talent on this team to survive over the course of 82 uh, center depth issues. And, and, and it can work. It, it's to me the like the center issue gets brought up when in matchup specific moments. And yeah, like, that's what the playoffs are all about, right? It's, it's, can you exploit something that is to your benefit and how well can you do it? And we saw in the playoffs, Montreal was able to do so. Yeah, that's a good point. Again, it, it's similar, you know, where you, where you got the 82 game runway, Vegas has the overall talent to establish themselves as the number one team uh, in this division. We've got a, a Brandon and a Brendan both chiming in with very similar thoughts. Brandon and Coquitlam says expectations. Why not conference finals? We were one game away in the bubble. And then Brendan in Nanaimo says the Canucks should aim for at least second in the Pacific and a round two win in the playoffs. They took Vegas to game seven, two years ago. Yeah. Both teams have changed, but I think Vegas is now worse than they were last year. Canucks are the best they've been on paper since 2012. The thing about saying, you know, we should be, our goal should be the conference finals. Only four teams make the conference finals. That's incredibly, incredibly difficult to do. And especially you look at the season this team just had last year, which was really, really tough. They struggled in a bad way last year. And I know they've brought in a lot of new pieces, but to go from where they were last year to the conference finals, that's a huge jump. Not saying it can't happen, right? Because again, the small sample size of the playoffs, teams can get hot, goalies can get hot, and you can go on a little bit of a run. But setting that as your expectation, I I think that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. 
Uh, this one. Uh, did Hamnick get a no move clause? I believe it was a modified no trade clause. I don't think it's a, a full no move clause uh, like we saw last year because you know last year was the the one year uh, contract where he was kind of doing the team a favor uh, by signing so cheap. So he did get his no movement clause. Uh, this one I believe is a modified no trade clause. Uh, Tucker Pullman I don't believe got anything. Uh, in that regard, and Brandon Sutter as well didn't get anything in that regard. I don't believe just yet. So, yeah, we're uh, still waiting for the details to come out here too on all of yeah. these. Uh, should also mention the Canucks have just made Luke Shen's deal official, a two-year nice. deal. That one's been reported uh, for a while now, but yeah, officially announced by the team that Luke Shen is back with the Vancouver Canucks on a two-year contract. Uh, this one... Uh... I think out of the division, the Canucks have core pieces in all important spots. Number one C and number two C, two scoring wingers, uh, number one D-man and number one goalie. Any other teams that have all of that. That is a good way of framing it. And we had those conversations similar to uh, last season as well. Because, you know, like the, the pillars of the team are there. You do have Elias Pettersson. You do have Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser. There are certain pillars that you'd want to look at and say, yeah, they have all of those pieces. And, and, and that's why, you know, solving some of the depth on this team has been uh, completely vital. And now you start looking at the wings and you're like, okay, Brock Besser and JT Miller, uh, maybe not superstar wingers, but first line credible first line NHL wingers. And I think there's still more to Brock Messer's game. That's going to emerge over these next couple of years. He's only 24 years old and he, you know, had a great season last year. We saw the goal scoring come back to, to go along with his overall playmaking ability. I think underrated defensive game as well. And then, you know, the boost of Connor Garland, I think really matters in this and, and what steps do Hoagland or put Coles and provide. Yep. So, you know, the, 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 the overall talent, I think, is there. It, it, the question to me is going to be on the back end. The, the results were not good, and, and it looked frenetic at times last year. And it's so strange because we saw in the bubble, not just because of the Vegas series, like they were improved defensively in the playoff bubble versus Minnesota and versus Los, or, uh, St. Louis. They just looked better. Now, overwhelmed versus Vegas and had to change to go into this kind of shell. But I, I kind of want to see, like, where was the discrepancy? What happened from the playoff bubble to to now? And it, it can't just be, oh, it was only Chris Tanev. It, it's got to be more than just that. So we'll see if they can get back to that style of defense because it was effective. They took down St. Louis and, 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 and handily handled them. And I will say, you know, we're looking at the defense and there's major questions about Oliver Ekman Larson, where his game is at. I think there's major questions about what role Tucker Pullman can thrive in with this team, but we did have a texture and this was hours ago. So I've completely lost it. Apologies, but we did have a texture point out, you know, at least the forward group is a lot stronger. So ideally the forward group is going to be spending more time in the offensive sure. zone, which hopefully will lessen some of the burden. And I mean, you just look at the third line going from playing, Adam Gaudette and Jake Vertanen, you know, two players, let's let's put it nicely, not known for their defensive responsibility. Going from playing those two guys, big minutes on the third line, to having a defensive specialist like Jason Dickinson, Vasily Podkolzin, yeah, he's a rookie, but you, you expect that to be a strength of his game early. Tanner Pearson on that line as well. I think there is something to that, the idea that hopefully the forwards can take some of the burden off of this defense score because it is the weakness of this team on paper right now. For sure. And, 
you're going to need some internal improvement as well. I know we talk about internal competition, but like Quinn Hughes has to get better defensively. That's part of this. And yep. if he does, like his upside to get better defensively is massive. It, it, it isn't just, hey, get to a baseline and we're happy with just the points. Like he, he's a smart hockey player. And he knows how to play the game. And if he you know, fine-tunes the defensive side, I'm not going to say he's become shut-down, lockdown-style D-man, but I think you'll get a productive, honest, real top-four defensive D-man from that, from, 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 for that perspective. And then you get the offensive upside with Quinn Hughes' game. Right now, for where he played last year, his defensive game wasn't at a stage where you're saying, you know, you, you can consistently like what you're seeing and, and you know what you're going to get. If that comes, that's a big bonus. Look at all the new players the Canucks have added. All of the guys we're talking about, you know, Connor Garland, Jason Dickinson, Ekman Larson, Tucker Pullman, all of them. Don't you still kind of feel the biggest single source of improvement for the Canucks could be Quinn Hughes taking a major step forward and bouncing back, right? Like the, the, the upside potential there from Quinn Hughes because of all the traits you're describing, his intelligence, his skill. You're right. That there's a possibility that Quinn Hughes takes a massive, massive step forward, and that could have a bigger impact than any of these other moves we're talking about. And it's the right age to, to try to do that, right? He's going to be you know transitioning from – uh, to 22 years old, you get into a stage now. You're, you're developing that strength. You've gone through the NHL season twice now. Now you're familiar with it. Now, now you make that transition from rookie to, you know, into your prime and becoming a veteran. You should have learned a bunch of lessons by now. And uh, you hopefully you apply that and start to make your own improvements as well. It's going to be interesting to watch how these guys do it. Uh, it is a uh, busy day, obviously. Uh, Jim Benning will speak. He's going to meet with media in about 40 minutes at 1.30. Uh, you should be able to hear it live here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, and also, Brandon Sutter will join the station as well at 3.30 uh, on the People's Show. He gets brought back at a one-year, $1.125 million contract. So he'll join the People's Show later today. And I think Jim Benning will also join the People's Show later today. So it's a, a full day of interviews with a bunch of uh, your Canucks. Uh, final takeaways, Jamie, on uh, the Vancouver Canucks? It's busy. And and again, I said it earlier in the show, busy. And uh, I hope everyone likes 5-4 games because we could be seeing a few of them this year. <laughs> I... I don't want to say it's going to be 5-4. I just uh I didn't say every night. I said a few times. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's fair enough. Fair enough. My my big takeaway, competition. Competition. It just given the bodies that they brought in to support the AHL team, uh and the, you know, the, the, they definitely raised the floor over the past 7 days. And competition is going to be the theme. Uh and and training camp should be Hella competitive. I'm excited to see that. Uh, we'll see what other signings trickle in and uh, maybe uh, some re-signings as well with Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Uh, th- those are the big, to- big to-dos left for Jim Benning, uh, which you'll hear at 1.30, uh, his media availability. Rintoul and Sermon, we will take off. We'll be back tomorrow. Bick Nazar, Jamie, Jamie Dodd filling in uh, here on Sportsnet 650.